What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Movement Podcast. This episode is going to be the first in a series of four episodes about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is actually a series I taught on our Wednesday night youth services a few months back before we had the ability to record and post our sermon archives. Archives. Anyway, you get the point. Here we go. Lesson one, introduction to the gifts here on the Movement Podcast. Woo! All right, here we go. Lesson one, introduction to the gifts. So before I get into teaching, I want to give you the two main resources that I used to gather all the information that I'm going to be teaching to you in this series. Number one is going to obviously be the Bible. That is the number one resource that I use. A majority of the information I'm going to teach all just comes from scripture. It comes from my own personal study, my own personal prayer, um, and it just comes from reading the Bible. I try to use a lot of scripture when I teach and preach because I want to make sure that What I'm teaching is not coming across as opinion, but it can be found in the Word of God. The second resource I used is a book called Gifts of the Spirit by Lee Stone King. Um, It's a very short book. It's a very um, easy book to read, very small, uh, very informational, not a whole lot of fluff. So if you want something quick and easy that you can read, if you're interested in learning about the gifts of the Spirit, this is a really good place to start. It's a book called Gifts of the Spirit by Lee Stone King. So I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but they're the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That's a key phrase, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, or another translation we're going to use later is called the discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In my opinion, the gifts of the Spirit are one of the most misunderstood things that we discuss within our apostolic movement. We all have a desire to be used of God. We all want to see supernatural signs and wonders and demonstration follow us as we believe on Jesus Christ the way Jesus said they would, but far too often we fail to really know what it looks like to be used of God. To actually operate as a vessel that God is using, what does it look like? What does it mean? What does it sound like? We have a relatively healthy understanding of the fruit of the Spirit, being that that is one's Christian character. That's who you really are. When you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, that is the character of who you are as a follower of Christ. But then when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, things get a little bit fuzzy. They get a little wonky. 
And if you find yourself in a place today where you're having a somewhat hard time grasping all the concepts of the giftings of the Spirit, you don't have to worry because this is a very reasonable place for you to be. Because we have an easier time grasping the fruit of the Spirit because that's something you can control. Contrary to what some people teach, whenever you get the Holy Ghost and now all of a sudden you're filled with God's Spirit, you don't automatically exude the fruits of the Spirit without trying. Right? Like just because you have the Holy Ghost doesn't mean that if someone punches you in the face, your natural response isn't going to be to want to punch them in the face. You now have the ability, once you're filled with the Spirit, to choose, do I want to be carnal and be bitter and be angry and have rage and malice in my heart, or do I want to be spiritual? We can control the fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's an option that you have. Do I want to love? Do I want to be joyful? Do I want to have peace? Do I want to have self-control? Or do I want to show the fruit of the flesh, which is anger, malice, um, bitterness, and all of these different things? So we can control the fruit of the Spirit. We understand that the fruit of the Spirit is something I have control over because it is my Christian character, but the gifts of the Spirit kind of elude us a little bit because that's not something you have any control over. You have no control over God using you in the gifts other than your own willingness to be used. And we read the passage in 1 Corinthians, it says, all of these gifts come from the same Spirit, which is God's Spirit, and He apportions them out as He wills, as God wills. But even though deep diving in an attempt to understand better the way the gifts operate, it can seem intimidating. It is crucial for the elevation of your own spirituality to understand what the gifts of the Spirit are, to understand how they operate, to understand how they apply to you, and to understand what the purposes of the gifts of the Spirit are to the body of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are broken down into three segments. You have the revelation gifts which is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. These three gifts, gifts, gifs, I guess, gifts, gifs, um, the, it's a joke, it's not funny, anyway, whatever. These three gifts have to do with revelation from God. It's God imparting on you supernaturally some level of knowledge about a situation. But it's knowledge that you could only get from the Spirit of God. It's not anything you could get just in your own carnal mind. The second group is called the utterance gifts, gifts, (laughs) struggling with that word, the utterance gifts. This is diverse types of tongues, or in the translation we read, various types of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. These three gifts have to do with anointed utterance. These gifts are vocal. This has to do with God supernaturally giving you a direct message to speak, whether it be in a language you know which would be prophecy, or a language you don't know, which would be a diverse type of tongue, and then the interpretation of said tongue. They have to do with you speaking a message audibly and and with your own voice. Then the third group is called the power gifts. These are the gifts of faith, the gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. And these three gifts demonstrate God's power. They give credence to his reality. They give credence to his presence. It's like you could have somebody that doubts the existence of God, and yet you pray for someone and they get out of a wheelchair, it's very evident now that God is real. Everyone can see that. They're power gifts. They demonstrate God's power. And so how do we unlock these gifts? These are the the nine gifts of the Spirit that Paul is talking about, which Paul says are for the common good of the body. All of these gifts are meant 
to do good things within the body of Christ. So how do we unlock them? How do I go from just being a person that loves God, that prays, that reads my Bible, that fasts, that tries to live a holy life? How do I then unlock these gifts within myself? That's a great question. The first thing to understand is that the gifts of the Spirit are imparted to individuals, not the church on a corporate level. Now, that's sometimes misunderstood and mistaught as only certain people can operate in certain gifts at certain times. That's not really what the Bible means when it says the gifts are given to individuals. What it means is they are imparted to individuals, meaning they take residence in an individual. It doesn't mean that there's some sort of like religious or spiritual aristocracy or you have to be born of a certain bloodline or, you know, when you're born, God picks one specific gift of the spirit he's going to give you. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you can unlock that one thing. And, and if one person in a church is already operating in the discerning of spirits, that means no one else in the church can operate in it. That's not what the Bible means when it says they are imparted to individuals. What it means is two things. One, the gifts are not imparted to the church corporately because if they were imparted to only the church corporately, then they could only operate within the four walls of the church. Well, if we read scripture, we know that's not what Jesus wanted. Jesus didn't only want us operating and doing spiritual things within the church. He wanted these things to follow us. These signs will follow them that believe. We see the miracles that uh, Peter and John performed, they were at the gate of the, of the church. They were not in the church. It was a man sitting at the gate and they were able to say, rise, take up thy bed and walk. So the gifts of the spirit take residence in individuals, not in the church corporately because God does not want them to stay within the walls of the church. Imagine how much of an incredible uh, ministry you would have if when you're walking through the halls of your school, God gave you a word for someone that says, hey, they're struggling with a lot of fear and they doubt my existence. Go tell them I've heard their prayer. I love them and they don't have anything to fear. And you tell them that. Imagine how much of a spiritual impact that would have on a schoolmate or, or a coworker or a family member at a, at, a, at a family gathering, wherever you might be, where the gifts want to operate. Imagine how much of a, a ministerial tool that would be to bring people into the kingdom. And so the first thing that the Bible means when it says the gifts are imparted to individuals is that they aren't given to the church corporately. They're given to individuals because they are meant to take residence. They are meant to go with you everywhere that you go. The second thing that Paul is talking about when he talks about the gifts being given individually is really more of like a, a structural order thing. Can you imagine if you were in a church service and all the gifts been, begin to operate at one time without any spiritual regulation? You have somebody getting up on the, on the platform, grabbing the mic from the pastor and beginning to try to give uh, a prophecy. And then while they're doing that, someone else is trying to give a tongue and then the other person's giving an interpretation and somebody else is over here laying hands on someone and trying to give them a word of knowledge. You have somebody running around putting their hand on somebody's head saying, you're going to be healed from migraines. And you had all of these things happening at once. It's chaotic. And nothing God does is ever chaotic. There's always an order and a structure to it. And that's what Paul is saying is they're imparted to individuals for individual moments, not because only certain people can operate in certain things, but because there has to be some level of regulation to how they're operating within a church service or within a church gathering, because if not, it'll be utter chaos. And so they are imparted to individuals. But remember, these gifts are imparted to you to take residence in you. Not to, to, when you walk into the church, God can give you this gift and then you have to check it back in upon leaving. They take residence. 
Once you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, you're automatically given potential to manifest all nine gifts of the Spirit. And we, and we read back in our scripture, in verse 7, it says, to each given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the verse right before that, verse 6, it says, there are a variety of activities, but it is all the same God who empowers them all in everyone. When you get the Holy Ghost and God is now living inside of you, it is the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. And it is that same Spirit that prompts people to be able to give words of knowledge and prophecy and tongues and interpretation. So obviously, if it's the same Spirit that that has all of these things happening and you have that spirit within you, it's obvious that you have the potential to unlock any of these things that are of the spirit. The gifts of God are given to anyone who is filled with God's spirit and desires to seek God, seek a relationship with him and are willing to answer whatever call he is putting upon you. We kind of overcomplicate it sometimes. We say, God, I want to be used of you. I want to be used of you. I want to be used of you. And then we put this box around what we think it means to be used of God. God, I want to be used. Therefore, that means I have to be a preacher or I have to be a worship leader or, or I have to be a missionary or I have to be an evangelist or a pastor and that's it. But God using you goes far beyond anything positional. God uses you by using you in these gifts for the common good, the benefit of, of the body of Christ. It really is as simple as learning what the voice of God and the direction of God sounds like for you as an individual and then acting on it. Being used of God, quote unquote, goes far beyond grabbing a microphone and preaching in a pulpit or singing a solo on the worship team. Being used of God means you're at Walmart and God gives you a word for someone, a word of knowledge, or, or God gives you a word of prophecy for someone, or God uh, is prompting you to go lay your hands on someone who you know is sick and pray that they would recover. That is you being used of God. And the way you unlock these gifts, it's, it's, of course, it's making sure that you're prayed up. It's making sure you're spiritual. It's making sure you're as close to God as possible. But it's also recognizing what the voice and direction of God sounds like and then acting on it. And make no mistake about it, your flesh will never want to be actually used of God. Your flesh may want to preach or sing or evangelize or whatever because there's some level of spotlight and there's some level of like uh, physical pride that comes with being seen doing things, but your flesh will never actually want to be used of God. It'll never be easy in your flesh to walk up to someone, whether it be at church or at work and say, hey, God spoke to me a message for you. It's never going to be easy in your flesh to walk up to someone you know is sick and say, hey, God wants me to pray for you that you recover. There's always going to be this battle between what your flesh desires to do and what the spirit of God within you desires to do. So it never really becomes easier as you begin to unlock these gifts and you begin to be used in these gifts. It doesn't become easier in the flesh to operate in them, but the discomfort you may feel in the flesh becomes a lot more worth it the more you see a spiritual return of your faith. What I mean by that is it may be really, really nerve wracking for you to walk up to someone at church and, and speak to them and say, hey, God just told me that you're struggling with fear and he doesn't want you to be scared anymore. He's hearing your prayers and he loves you and he wants me to pray for you. That may be really nerve wracking and scary, but the moment you see their eyes light up and they begin to cry 
and they begin to speak to you from their heart and they say, oh my goodness, this morning I was struggling. I was, I felt fear in my heart. Maybe I was suicidal or, or whatever. And you just spoke to me and proved to me that God is real and he loves me. Um, that spiritual return you got from being used makes all the carnal discomfort totally worth it. And though it's not ever going to be easy, quote unquote, for your flesh to do things like that, the more you do it and the more you see real spiritual return, it makes it worth it. You don't care how uncomfortable you are at that point because you know that your faith, when you act, is going to be rewarded. And so know that you can be as spiritual as you desire to be. You can be as used as you desire to be. Some people try to teach that when you are born again, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues and, and now you're, you're set on this path of, of a relationship with God, God gives you like this one gift that you're able to operate in. But that's not really how it works. The way I kind of equate it is it's almost like a, and some of you may not be into video games. I am, and my wife makes fun of me quite often about it, but that's all right. Um, it's like playing an RPG. Once I unlock certain skills and attributes based on how much experience points I earn, I unlock them for the duration of the game. Like, I don't lose them. I can, once I unlock them, I have them. And that's the way the gifts of the Spirit are. There's not one gift of the Spirit that God is only allowing one individual to use because that doesn't make sense because they all come from the same Spirit. It's the same Spirit that empowers all of these things that Paul said in all of us. We all have the power to do these things within proper order and within proper godly authority. We have the power to operate in all of these things. And so once you begin to unlock, once you begin to step out in faith, once you begin to pray, God, I want you to use me in this gift, or I want you to begin to use me in this way. And then God says, okay, here you go. Here's your instruction. Here's your direction. This is what I want you to do. And then you step out and do it. Boom, gift unlocked. God can now trust you that if he tells you to give a word to someone, you will give it. Therefore, he will continue to give you words. The reason sometimes we're in a church environment and we only see one individual giving tongues and interpretation or only one individual giving prophecy or one individual within a church giving words of knowledge, we kind of have to look at ourselves if that's happening. Because the reason God will continue to go back to that person and give them a, a message in tongues or give them a message of prophecy is because somewhere along the way, someone else has been given that message and has refused to give it. The gifts of the Spirit are not meant to only be within certain individuals. They're meant to be operating in all of us. But God only wants to give us that which we can be trusted of. So if God gives you a word and you don't give that word, you have to prove to God that you are worthy of that gift, that you will use that gift. So what are the purposes of the gifts? In Ephesians 4, 12-15, we see what the purposes of the gifts are. It says very simply, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, no longer children, but we are all growing, we are all developing, we are all building up a ministry, we're building up the body of Christ, we're building ourselves up spiritually as well as building up the whole body. That's the purpose of the gifts. 
The gifts are given to man to operate in a spiritual capacity in order to build God's kingdom, in order to help people, in order to edify people, and in order to demonstrate God's power. That's what the gifts are for. The gifts are never meant to be used as manipulation tactics. They're never meant to push agendas. They're never meant to to bolster up a certain individual, but they're meant for the edification of the body. And this may seem like a common sense topic, but this is the most important thing you have to remember before we go any further into discussing the individual gifts of the Spirit is that anything that is divine, anything that is of God, when He places it in the hands of mankind, it is subject to error or misuse. Many people attempt to tap and operate in the spiritual gifts for very selfish reasons. They, they want to manipulate people or maybe they want to give some sort of validation that they are better than someone. But you have to be very careful not to automatically associate people operating in the gifts, operating in the gifts as God's approval for sinful lifestyle. This is something God had to teach me personally because I was in an event one time and there was an individual that was preaching. And in my personal opinion, they weren't necessarily living according to what they were preaching. So I asked God very clearly, I said, God, why is that? Why do you continue to use this individual and people seem to be responding and, and people are, are you know, maybe getting healed or maybe people are getting what they need or people are praying and, and, and all of these, what seems like wonderful spiritual things are happening, yet the person that is being used right now isn't a very spiritual person. And God pointed me back to what we read in Ephesians, where God operating and using people and using giftings is for the edification of the body and the building up of the ministry. And God spoke very clearly and he told me, don't ever forget this, that when I use people and I operate, I do it for the edification of my body, not the validation of the individual being used. Just because you or someone else is operating in the gifts of the spirit does not mean that you are actually living a godly spiritual life. The gifts operate, remember, as he wills. God wills it. God desires to use us for the edification and building up of his body. And this is made evident in Paul's writing throughout 1 Corinthians. Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians 12, the scripture text that we read, and he's speaking to them how the gifts are supposed to operate. Meaning, of course, the gifts have been operating. He's giving them some sort of structure and some sort of order to the way the gifts are meant to operate. And so we can assume that the gifts have been operating in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But Paul begins to kind of try to rein them in a little bit, not because he's attacking the gifts. Some people try to teach that Paul was against spiritual gifts, which makes no sense because he spent multiple chapters talking about them. He wasn't trying to diminish the gifts. He wasn't trying to suppress them operating in the gifts, but rather he was trying to make very clear points of wise instruction and regulation about the gifts greater greater overall health of the church meaning that you can't look at the gifts operating and assume the church is healthy. And the reason is because in the chapters prior to 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to them about division in the church. He writes about that twice. Sexual immorality defiling the church. Paul writes to them about lawsuits being filed against one another. Fleeing sexual immorality. He begins to condemn them for idol worship and offering up uh, worship to idols. He's reminding them that everything they do shouldn't be about themselves. It shouldn't be about their vain, uh, 
you know, desires or pride. It should all be about God. These are the types of things and the types of issues that Paul felt the need to address in a church that was operating in the gifts of the spirit. Just because the gifts were operating didn't mean God was accepting of their lifestyle. Because remember, the gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ, not the validation of individuals. Never misassociate the gifts of the Spirit for validation. Because when you do that, you get yourself in a whole lot of trouble and you begin to doubt and you begin to question, well, why is so-and-so being used because they do this or they do that? The gifts are meant for the edification of Christ's body, not for the validation of individuals. In Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, gift of the Spirit? Did we not cast out demons in your name? You can't cast out demons without discerning of spirits. And do many other mighty works in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness." Before we can go any further in breaking down the gifts of the Spirit individually, we have to make sure we're approaching the gifts of the Spirit and their operations with correct motives and with correct intentions. Not everyone who is being used in the church, quote unquote, not everyone who holds a church position, not everyone within the church are living lives that God will approve of. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7, it says, but understand this, that in the last days, times will become difficult. For people will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy. They'll be heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. They'll be without self-control. They'll be brutal. They won't love one another. They won't love good. They'll be treacherous, reckless. They'll be swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Paul warns us that there will be people that will be slanderous, abusive, disobedient to their parents, unholy, unappeasable, all of these things, and it'll be within the church. People claiming to have an appearance of godliness, but denying God's power. Now, now something important to know right here is that the word power in this scripture context is not the same word power we read about in the book of Acts, where it says you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That word power in the book of Acts is dunamis power. It'll be a a power to do things. This power doesn't mean the ability to do things. This word power means authority. So they'll have an appearance of godliness, but they'll deny the authority. It's referencing the type of power that's found with an official or a ruler or a king. They have power to do something. The president has power to do whatever. It's power. So what Paul is saying is that there will be people who want to seem godly, but they don't want to accept that there is a greater authority they must subject themselves to. They have a desire to appear godly, but they don't want to submit to the true meaning of being godly. And don't fall into that trap where you pursue being used of God more than you pursue having a relationship with God. Don't fall into the trap where you seek the hands of God more than you seek the face of God. Don't pursue the power of God to do, but then ignore the power of God to submit. The gifts of the Spirit operating are not about the person operating in them. They're for the edification of the body. 
And so somebody can be operating in the gifts of the Spirit and not necessarily be spiritual, and God may continue to use them because he's not doing it for the benefit of the person being used anyway. When you're preaching a sermon or you're singing a solo or you're giving words of knowledge or you're giving a tongue and interpretation, whatever it is that God is using you to do in a moment, he's not using you for the benefit of you. He's using you for the benefit of the body. And so God may continue to use people who are not necessarily godly as long as it edifies his body. And the reason I'm harping on this is because I want you to understand this very clearly, that there is a very distinct difference between being used of God and being in relationship with God. You can be used of God and not make it to heaven. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to find yourself in the same place those people found themselves in Matthew 7, where they're going to say, Lord, we baptize in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We operated in your name. And he's going to say, hey, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. And so make sure that you're not only seeking the power in the hands of God, but you're seeking the face of God, that you're seeking a relationship with God. It's very healthy and expected and really biblically encouraged for you to pursue and desire spiritual gifts. Don't let your past or your upbringing or your mistakes be excuses you use to disqualify yourself from being used of God. Because the Bible tells us, in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it said the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Another translation says they're given without repentance. Meaning that, hey, if God wants to use you, he'll use you. So don't use your mistakes or, or your upbringing or any of the things that we use as excuses to disqualify us from being used of God. However, don't also take for granted that the gifts are given without repentance Don't use them as validation that, well, obviously what I'm doing can't be that sinful or that ungodly because God keeps using me. No, don't do that either. Make sure you're pursuing spiritual gifts, but never place them in higher priority than the fruit of the Spirit. Make sure you're pursuing being used of God, but you're also pursuing being in a relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, earnestly desire the higher gift, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So right after Paul concludes talking about the gifts of the Spirit, after he talks about the operations of the gifts of the Spirit, he concludes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and immediately picks up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is all about love. We have to covet, desire the gifts of the Spirit, but Paul makes sure he drives it into us how they're supposed to be used. You can be used in all nine gifts of the Spirit, and if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Paul says that you can prophesy, you can speak in tongues like men and of angels. God can literally reveal to you every complexity of the universe, but if you don't have love, they don't mean anything. The gifts of the Spirit are always meant to be 100% of the time used in a spirit of love. They're to be used to edify and profit the body. They're not meant to be used to tear down someone or exalt themselves, but they are meant to build up the body of Christ. So in conclusion, we're going to do a quick recap of this first lesson. One, the gifts of the Spirit are broken down into three categories. The revelation gifts, which have to do with God revealing something to you that you couldn't possibly know in your own flesh. Two, the utterance gifts, God giving you a very literal word to speak to someone, whether it be through tongues and interpretation or it be through prophecy. And three, the power gifts. And these gifts give credence to God's power, his presence, his reality, and his validity 
because you're seeing God perform something in a very real and tangible way. How do we unlock the gifts of the Spirit? Well, we unlock them by one being in covenant, communion, and relationship with God. And as we begin to recognize what the voice of God and the direction of God sounds like for us, we do it. We unlock the gifts of the Spirit by operating in spiritual things. The purpose of the gifts are simple. They are to edify and build up the body of Christ. And if anyone is using them for any other purpose, whether it be to promote themselves or to try to um, bolster themselves up or they're trying to use them to manipulate or they're trying to use them to validate their bad behavior, none of those are of God. The gifts are meant to edify and build up the body of Christ. So as you begin to recognize what the voice of God sounds like for you, what the direction of God sounds like, as God begins to push you to step out of your flesh and begin to operate in spiritual things, and then you in return do it and activate your faith and you do what God is directing you to do, you begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And as you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, God begins to trust you with operating more and more and more in the gifts of the Spirit. And though it never becomes necessarily easy in your flesh to operate in spiritual things, the more you operate according to your faith and the more you see your faith rewarded with spiritual return, it makes that discomfort that you feel in your flesh more and more worth it because you begin to develop the mindset that I don't want my own will to be done, but I want God's will to be done. And that's it. That's episode one of the gifts of the spirit. Next episode, we're going to talk about the revelation gifts, which are word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. I hope you guys enjoyed this. If you did, like it, subscribe it, follow it, whatever you got to do on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. If you want to keep up with both the podcast and the movement student ministries, you can follow us on Instagram, all one word, all spelled out, the movement students. I love you guys, and I will see you next time on the movement podcast.